Hey friends, thanks for joining us again for another episode of a Third Way podcast where we discuss the tension uh, of following Jesus in a world that wants black and white and cut and dry answers. We believe that there's gray area, that there's room to grow and there's room to wrestle with things that um, for many of us we've just been handed our whole life, uh, these systems and these faith traditions that we've inherited. Last week we gave part one of an interview with trauma counselor Diane Langberg. Uh, And we've gotten some great feedback, you guys uh, who have listened to it. uh, Thank you so much for sharing. We know that this is such a powerful conversation, uh, and and we really pray that you're encouraged by it. Uh, This is going to be part two. We're going to continue and finish off uh, what we started last week. So, again, if you have any feedback, if you uh, need to talk to somebody after listening to this, we would love if you would reach out to us. You can contact us through our Twitter, through our Instagram page. You could contact New Ground Network. Um, we would just love to be a safe place for you to process uh, and just discuss some of the things that we talk about as well. We want to keep the conversation going uh, because that's what this is all about. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive in, and we hope you enjoy. Well, the whole, the whole witness was so freeing mm-hmm. because I, for me, I'm young. I, if, if someone comes to me and I am a pastor, so if someone's to come to me and try to talk these things through with me, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say. So there's a fear of, I got to try to avoid these conversations because I'm going to be exposed as an idiot. I'm not qualified for whatever this is. You know, it's okay to say that. I do, but you, Knowing it's okay and living it like it's okay. Well, I mean, people come here with problems that nobody here is equipped to handle, and we refer them. Yeah. I mean, no psychologist or yeah. any mental health person knows everything. Yeah. Mm. But I love your, 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 you know, the way you explain them. It's like, just be with them. Mm-hmm. And then the outline that you said, like, let's partner with someone, but you still have to do the work. You can't just ship them off somewhere. I mean, in extreme situations, like you said, but... But the witness is something that is just so absent right now in everything in culture, but especially in, in the brokenness is, oh my goodness. Well, and I mean, it's an essence of our faith. I mean, it, it's, it's it first is. of all, God was with at the beginning, yes. and second of all, the incarnation is withness in all capital letters. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I, I found that freeing. I thought, my goodness, that's what young people need to hear. You mm-hmm. don't need to come in here guns blazing, like, with the three, do these three things, which are most of our sermons anyway. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. Just be there. Just sit with them. But as a a trained, licensed (laughs) psychologist, just say, yeah, I just had to sit there with somebody for months. (laughs) That's that's crazy to me. Yeah. I think, like, that. that's just what needed to be. it was a discipline, I can tell you that. (laughs) Yeah, you said, I said a lot of things in the beginning because I wanted to. Yeah, I did. I I just, I've never encountered anything like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, And I not only that, I didn't understand it until probably several years later when she said, You remember when? And I'm thinking, Do I remember? Of course I remember. (laughs) Um, She said, Here's what it was like for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, so it wasn't really until then. I mean, I understood when she started talking that I needed to have done that, but I didn't really get it until she explained it to me later. Yeah. That was the first time in her entire history she had a safe place with a human being in the room. The only other time she'd ever been safe was when she was hiding. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. And even then she was usually found. So she just wanted to sit there and soak it up. Yeah. For 30 more minutes, I can sit here safely. And in some ways you were going to protect her. And nothing is required of me. Yeah. Except to show up. Yeah. I don't have to sit properly because she truly was in a fetal position in the chair. Mm. I don't have to say anything. I don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were giving us some really practical tips, Diane, on what churches can do to step into this space, even to acknowledge our inadequacies and how we understand abuse, but to say, gosh, if part of living out the gospel means helping people who have been wounded heal, then we have to figure out how do we educate ourselves? How do we create communities of safety uh, that can address this issue? Uh, I'm curious, I think this is a story I tell myself or just my own naivete in it, but there's something in me that thinks that sort of assumes or puts the pieces together that people who abuse have been abused and that part of what led them to become abusers is them never tending to that wound or them never doing their own healing work. Will you talk to that? Are there statistics? Are there suggestions? Am I way off and even guessing that that's the case? Well, as I said earlier, everything human's on a continuum. Mm Mm-hmm. So yes, you do have, for example, abusers who experienced sexual abuse as a child, let's Mm -hmm. say. Um, Or you have uh, those who are domestic abusers, maybe not sexual, but just violence and words and things like that, uh, um, who grew up in situations where they had an alcoholic, enraged father and things like that, you know. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes there are things that go back that need to be looked at and understood because that was what the child marinated in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And children are malleable, and so they are shaped as they develop. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they're shaped by very toxic things. Sure. But you can also have abusers who have never been abused. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know... I can't off the top of my head remember the statistics, but when you look, for, for example, if you look at those who abuse sexually, mm-hmm. the percentage of those who were abused sexually as children is higher than the one in the general population. Okay. But it leaves out a whole bunch of people who weren't. Sure. Okay? Sure. So you can't assume that at all, and it's very important for people to understand that the statistics about people who've been sexually abused becoming abusers is really small. Sure. You know, oftentimes people want to make statistics work both ways. Sure. Okay. And so, um, you know, if you were sexually abused, I have to be worried about you being safe mm-hmm. for, for children in my church or something. Absolutely. Sometimes they're so oversafe that it's a little claustrophobic. Sure. And sometimes they're just fine. You know, it, it just, you cannot predict like that. Okay. I think the what I want to take away from that as an idea is that we all have our work to do. And I think many of us, especially in positions of power and in positions of leadership, have missed doing our own work, doing our own story work, figuring out what are the core wounds from our childhood or the damaging messages that we've taken away. And I, our tendency, if we don't deal with those things, is to then spend our adulthood trying to find ways to take care of them, you know, in unhealthy ways or find identity, things that will fulfill us or give us value outside of the things that they're supposed to come from. Um, talk to us about, about that, about the work that as pastors and leaders and Christ followers, what does it look like to really engage in exploring our own brokenness and being self-reflective in that to move towards healing? Well, I think part of 
church culture, at least in the U.S., has been that you dress up nice and look fine. Mm, On the outside. Yes. And so I think people are not freed up to either talk about, for example, if somebody's in the church who's been victimized in some way, they don't feel free to do that. But neither do we ourselves often feel free to look at ourselves then Mm -hmm. because we're too busy being okay Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) or at least appearing okay. But the thing that we miss is we are the instrument. Hmm. And so if I'm the instrument, I need to be an instrument who knows how to play in the right key. Sure. (laughs) Hit the right notes Mm -hmm. and all those things. And whatever gets in the way needs to be looked at and dealt with Mm -hmm. so that I can, over time, grow into a finer and finer instrument. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, and, the, and I think the other piece is that we've, we've exaggerated that because we emphasize gifts over character. Mm. So you're an or- orator and you're fabulous with words and you are brilliant and you can teach things and all that stuff. But you yourself are not something you consider. Mm-hmm only what you're able to do or produce. Mm. And the church feeds back applause for such things, and so that gets reinforced. Mm -hmm. But but the fact is, it is the person that is the instrument. And you can be completely uneducated and all those things and be a fabulous instrument in the hands of God. Mm -hmm. Jesus chose a couple men like that, mm -hmm, right, during his time. mm -hmm, And continues to do so. Sure. Or you could be somebody who's really, really gifted and you never stop to look at the person who's carrying the gifts. Hmm. And so if the person who's carrying the gifts is twisted, they're going to get used in twisted ways, not only with other people, but it'll do damage to you because mm-hmm. you've reduced your value to what you can do. Yes. It's interesting. So, you know, we talk quite a bit about strengths in leadership and leadership and a lot of the practices of the world, if you will, when it comes to leadership have been applied to leadership in the church. That's a whole nother thing that we could unpack during this time. But we talk a lot about strengths and in some circles we talk about the shadow side of strengths. So any strength or gift that we have been given has as much potential to do harm as it does good. In fact, that's probably where we're most susceptible to doing harm is with those very same gifts that we get up and lead people or engage people or challenge people or inspire people. I mean, that the shadow side to those is that those gifts could really be used to do damage or used for harm if they're uh, not kept in check. Yeah, so if you think about somebody who's really powerful at influencing people, mm-hmm. getting them to follow, getting them galvanized, all of those things, well, that could be used for good or ill. Mm-hmm. Um, or you think about somebody who's a superb uh, speaker, mm-hmm. you know, orator, whatever. <laughs> it depends on what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And what they're saying comes out of them. Mm-hmm. So it depends on who they are as well. Sure. And we don't attach all those things together. We just see the superb gift. Sure. And in some ways, I mean, as as consumers in the church, we have created this platform in a sense, this starstruck yes, idea of celebrity it. culture and applaud it and built it and bought the books and have the receipts towards sort of this culture within. We feed off of the shepherds as much as the shepherds can feed off the sheep. I go to this mm. church. This person is the pastor. Mm-hmm. He is, is the one who did all these things, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Look so how exceptional we are. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
And that's sometimes perpetuated by the pastors on the stage, right? This is the greatest church yeah, ever. It's, all, it's like a is, dance yeah, together. It's like a mm -hmm. cycle. Yeah. We're unique. We're special. We're doing things nobody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this has also illuminated um, just a different perspective on sin for me. So, you know, I grew up in a church that talked about sin and talked about behavior management. Yes. You know, all of the ways that you need to don't do this, don't do this. Here's the line here. Don't do this so that you can be good, if you will. And even hearing you talk about, yes, yeah, so much of those are external. Mm -hmm. And what about the internal damage? You know, I, I think sin is illustrious and draws us in if we're not careful. Like that sense of deception is a step in yes, that it's direction. enticing. Yeah. Oh, sure. And it'll wear any outfit it needs to to entice us. Yes. And it'll take us farther than we ever thought we'd go. And it will lead us to things we never thought we would do. And we're all equally susceptible to that. Yes. So because someone stands There's on a no platform exceptions. or with a microphone... Uh, this is interesting for me in, in the world I'm in with church leaders because most of the sort of structures of church are, are set up to fail in this regard. Mm -hmm. So you have an elder board that is set up to hold a lead pastor accountable, yet that lead pastor is still their spiritual authority or their spiritual covering. And so no one, it, it feels like an awkward dance to even try to tend to the issues of the heart or tend to the issues of character in that setting. So um, an example, I, there's a church that I have done some work with and they were in a season of succession and several people applied for the job. And one of the guys that applied for the job said, Hey, I want you to know upfront that I have struggled off and on with an addiction to pornography since I was nine years old. And if I were to become the pastor, I mean, it's the thing I go to an unhealth and I'm aware of that pattern. If I were to become the pastor, I would want you to ask me about this regularly. And all of the sort of pastors in this cohort were like, never tell your elders that. You should never admit to that kind of stuff. And he said, no, I want them to know what they would be getting if I stepped into this role. He ended up getting the role. And now years later that he has been in this position, they have asked him one time how he's doing in this area of struggle. So self-professed area of struggle. This they is They have failed their they brother. Have, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it seems as if that's really how we're set up. Like what does it look like to bring vulnerability into those settings with leaders, with pastors to level the playing field in terms of our brokenness? How do we do that? What's a way forward? Well, I think part of it is, you know, from God's perspective, the worst thing in the world is sin. Not failure, not, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we don't live like that. I mean, what that pastor was doing is saying, this is a sinful thing that I have a propensity for. And if he'd had it since he was nine, mm -hmm. he, you know, he, he grew with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, and he was wise to do that. Now, they've only asked him once. He doesn't have good elders. Right. The second question I would have is, if they've only asked him once, what has he said about that? Back to them. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm your pastor, but I'm also your brother. Mm -hmm. And I asked you for something, and because you were uncomfortable with it, you're not giving it to me, and I'm not okay with that. Mm -hmm. So if he hasn't asked them, mm -hmm. there's, there's something some going shared on here. responsibility. Sure, sure. So in bo both sides, mm -hmm. there's concern. Mm-hmm. And it do that doesn't necessarily mean he's using pornography. I don't mean that. It's just sure. that he's been okay with their failure uh, to the point that he's remained silent about it. Sure. So what does it look like um, 
for us as leaders in the church? Where I mean, is is the best place a leader can establish that level of transparency in a counselor's office? Is it like, what does it look like for leaders to be aware of and own their brokenness? Because we don't see that modeled. And, and like you said, there's so much performance driven expectation when it comes to those who are leading our churches. I don't know what it is that would cause elders to not lean into those areas. I don't know if it's their own brokenness that makes them feel like, who am I to ask somebody else about yeah, sin well, when I have my own? Yeah, well, you'd want to take a survey and ask how many of them are looking at pornography, wouldn't you? Sure, sure. <laughs> or something we're else. engaging yes. in the issue, absolutely. Yes. But I, I'm, I'm just a fool to believe there has to be a better way forward. Where, where are the places that leaders are creating that level of transparency and dealing with the issues? Otherwise, they're not, and we're seeing the fallout of that. Well, you, you, you're not going to get human beings to do that unless they feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps this pastor did not feel safe to bring it up again because they basically rejected it out of hand initially. Mm-hmm. And, and essentially, he just felt not cared for. Like, yes. if this is the well, way I said I need for. to be He's loved. Right. Sure, sure. Um, I think for pastors to check in with somebody... They need somebody in their life they're not afraid to say things to and who is not rejecting hearing them. Mm-hmm. For many, that is a professional. Mm-hmm. I would hope, though, that if it is a professional, that that person is working with the pastor to find others. It may not be the elders. Mm-hmm. It may be two other pastors of two different churches. Mm-hmm. In another state. Even. Right. Sure. It may be, uh, who knows? But it, um, or it may just be a couple of people from another, a men from another church who are just members and not in any leadership position, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I would hope that seeking it from somebody who's held to confidentiality mm-hmm. would be a person who would encourage them to find it in other ways. However, you have to keep in mind, on the, the bottom line is anybody can get around anything we do. Sure. The answer is not in how we set it up, even though that matters greatly. Mm-hmm. Because we're called to care for each other, and those elders failed. Mm-hmm. Not only him, but each other. Mm-hmm. And their church. And their church. Mm-hmm. But, for example, many years ago, a pastor used to come and see me and wanted accountability and all that stuff. And I saw him off and on for several years, and he met with a group of pastors, and they were open with each other and blah, 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 only they weren't. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't open with me either for a long time. And then eventually I learned that he was basically somebody who would get on a public transportation and go to another city or town and expose himself mm. and then come home. Mm. Never told anybody. Hadn't gotten caught. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so you can set, I mean, he was coming to see me, mm-hmm. but he didn't tell me. He mm-hmm. was meeting with a group of pastors, and I mean for years, like 10 or 15 years. Sure. And they would ask these certain questions of each other, mm-hmm. and he lied. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that we do those things, mm-hmm. and it's equally important that we understand that we can't then say, okay, we've got that covered. Right. We can never say that. Right. And there's no, I, there's no system where elders are going to be able to bring effective accountability. It, that's only ever going to happen to the point with which a pastor feels comfortable being authentic or transparent. Yes, or and, and it means elders, it, and it doesn't necessarily mean the whole elder board, but it means elders who love the man more than what he does for them. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know how common that is. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have no way of measuring it. Sure. And that goes back to... But he was asking them to love him where he was weak, and they didn't want to do that. Yeah. yeah. And for all of us that pastor churches or lead organizations, is it true to say we're, we're doomed if we don't create those places that we can be authentic and transparent? I mean, as difficult as it is, yes. if you have them established, anyone who would listen to this that is walking in some area of darkness alone, there is really no chance of bringing light into that. No, where would the light come from? Right. I mean, if you're doing something like that, you can't say, well, I'll talk to myself and I'll help my, but your, your thinking is twisted. Mm-hmm. You it's can't what got trust you into yourself it. to do that. Sure. Yes. Sure. Yes. Talk to me um, for a few minutes. Talk to us. I know John's here as well, um, taking this in and asking some questions. There is also, I think, a desire because we know the healer and because we know the power of healing that's possible to believe that there's hope for anyone. And, you know, some of the abuse situations that we have seen in the headlines have to do with abusing children. And so just talk to us about, you know, it whether it's a, a pastor that had a moral failure or was involved in abuse, what does it look like for healing? What does restoration look like? When is it possible? Is it always possible? No. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and to say, I mean, truthfully, I don't want to hear that because of course I want to think that we, yeah. you know, are good enough or strong enough or, or mm-hmm. gracious enough that there's always possible healing. But talk to, more, talk to us more about that. Well, part of what you've just said there, though, is that those things external to the per- person will be enough. Whatever I give them, I'm good to them, I'm gracious with them, I walk with them, I care for them, I speak into their lives, that mm-hmm. should be enough. Mm-hmm. But you have left out the inside of the person. Mm-hmm. The, the, I, scriptures do not promise that we're all going to be all better in this life. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that any of us are going to be all better in this life. Right. We're not, yeah. yeah, we're not finished here. We don't finish. Mm-hmm. We're working toward the only time we're ever going to be finished is in heaven. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not a measure of faith or anything else. I mean, we're so much more ruined than we realize. <laughs> we really are. And mm-hmm. we don't like that. And we use the word grace in very inappropriate ways. It's usually meaning a pass. Mm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean a pass. There is no pass. There would be no cross if there were a pass. I mean, the cross shows there's no pass. Yes. Sometimes we talk about the cross as if it's the pass, but that's not accurate. No, since we're called to be crucified with him. Yes. So it is not done just because he did it. Yes. And, the, you know, the other thing, you know, I say to people, okay, so, you know, you think, well, oh, Jesus healed these people, which he did. And, you know, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Yes, and poor Lazarus had to die again. Mm. He had to do it twice. <laughs> mm. The rest of us only have to do it once. Sure. And that's that's life on that. this planet. Yeah. So part of loving people is understanding and being willing to be with not being all better. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you talk about pedophiles for example the research on that is very depressing mm-hmm. it, by and large there is no all better mm-hmm. 
someone who has abused a child as an adult. Particularly, um, uh, repeatedly. Mm -hmm. There's a psychologist named Anna Salter who's worked with perpetrators mm -hmm. her, for her career. And she has a book that she's written on predators, which is not something one should read at night, but it's very informative. Sure. But she has a video series of teaching some things on her website. And she has a video that opens up with her interviewing a young man. Mm -hmm. And he's telling her about how he went to this church and he, he would help the older people that nobody paid attention to and he would cut their grass and get their groceries for them. Then he listed all these other things he did, very benevolent, kind, helpful things, concrete things needed to be done and everything else. And then basically one day somebody came along and falsely accused him of abuse and it just broke his heart and it was uh, breaking his heart because his parents had sacrificed to send him to seminary or wherever, whatever. And you listen to that story and you want to weep with the guy. Mm -hmm. And then the scene flips, and he's in an orange jumpsuit, and he's looking her in the eye, and he, she's asking him how many victims, and he says over 100. Wow. And you wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. You couldn't tell. Mm -hmm. He sounds great. Mm -hmm. He sounds like the kind of people churches want, mm -hmm. which makes us vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And... Most pedophiles have way more victims than anybody knows. I mean, the statistics on that are terrifying. Yeah. They don't abuse a child. Yeah. Yeah. And in our disillusionment, people with good intentions can believe, oh, we can see this person restored. God can restore anything. Nothing is beyond God's redemption. And This so is they a true allow. statement. Yeah. There's nothing beyond his capacity. Yeah. His capacity is not in question. Mm -hmm. Ours it's our capacity is. that's in question. Yes. yes. And I, I, you know, when I, I teach on things like this, I say to people, okay, think of something you've struggled with all your life. You eat too much. You sleep too much. You drink too much. You have a nasty temper and you keep you're thinking you're better. Yeah. yeah. How you doing? Is it gone? Hmm. No. Mm-hmm. So what makes you think something so deep and so entrenched and so outside the realm of normal mm -hmm. of a human being who has sex with children repeatedly mm -hmm. is going to be gone? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even as you talk about that, I think about there's no room in the church right now, in the Western church, for people owning their brokenness with our metrics with the way that we gauge success we have to we love the ones who come in with a little bit of a limp that we can see some transformation but then we can get them serving in children's especially if we can celebrate the transformation for publicly. sure <laughs> absolutely yeah we love those people but if someone comes in with a real like they're missing the leg essentially the way you're describing yeah, like an opioid addiction exactly mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we we have no room for that and we still want to i don't even think that there's a part of our brain that can figure out where to put them we still want to figure out like you were describing the external things we can give them we still want to figure out oh, okay i'm going to treat them this way but you're still going to get good enough that you can you know man the ship with us you're still going to be able to serve in something right and it's just exposing that we expect people to be okay because we ex we think we're okay right now well we all 
also want them to serve, which is using them. We love using people. That's why we have mm, people. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And the church always needs people. I mean, you, you know, there's, and serving is a wonderful thing, but it, we have to be careful that it does not control our perceptions and our, our judgments mm. and our decisions. Yes. And you've shared that these individuals count on church communities being grace extending communities yes. that are going to overlook harm. Yes. Mm -hmm. They observe, they listen, they watch, they purposefully choose mm -hmm. like this man I just talked about in the video. Mm -hmm. So if, if you have a church that, ha for example, ha and they will investigate, has no policies about sexual abuse, no procedures, no active thing going on in terms of keeping kids safe. They like that. Mm -hmm. It's easier to hide. Mm -hmm. And there's no, there's no place in the church that it's safe to have people like that exposed to our communities. Is that right? Well, certainly not to the children. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's a pedophile, I mean, it mm -hmm. depends on what the problem is. Mm -hmm. But the, the church has a role in the lives of people who are struggling with these things. Mm. Mm -hmm. But the model that we have is not an all-inclusive model. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you have somebody who's addicted to all kinds of drugs and everywhere they go, they pass out drugs to kids, you're not going to let them go to your Sunday school because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you don't want your kids to have the drugs. It's the same kind of thing. Sure. So the question is how to be the church, which is not a building mm -hmm. and a time on Sunday. Mm -hmm. It's a body. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how to be a body that's that walks with somebody who isn't safe to be in the building yes that doesn't mean they're not part of the church it means they're sure. not in the building sure that's not the church sure so we're we're mixed up about that mm -hmm. so uh, you know we recommend that churches particularly with pedophiles but we recommend that churches go to the person and bring church to them mm -hmm. and so if somebody has a pedophile in the church and maybe they're out of jail and they're on probation or whatever thing is going on, you, you don't have them in the building. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this. Churches want to help someone be rehabilitated and find themselves in the tension of what does grace look like and what does Well, and they care. want them to look like everybody else, right? Mm. which is not what rehabilitation means. Yes. Part of what you want to do is keep protect this person from themselves, mm -hmm. not just protect other people. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, I, I've talked to perpetrators. They go and they stand at a certain place in church and they sit in a certain pew because three rows up is a family with three little blonde girls. And they mm. just spend their entire service thinking about those little girls and what they would do to them. And nobody knows. Mm -hmm. so and they think they're helping. Feeding the monster yes. inside whether they're acting Which is on a or not. You're giving the person their drug? Yeah. That's not helping. Yeah. So if, if you have people that have been trained and stay in touch probation officer and have read some things and consulted with some people, you know, a group of adults can do church with that person once a week. And I've seen it happen. You know, you, you record the sermon, you bring the sermon, you listen to it together, you talk about it, you do the scriptures, you do the songs, you do everything. Mm -hmm. But you're also protecting the person from themselves. There's mm -hmm. no, no, nothing to feed on around them. So it's the most loving thing that you can do for that individual, yes, not it, just in protection yes, of the It's community. sacrificial. Mm -hmm. I mean, they already did church. Now they're doing it again. Mm -hmm. It's how to love a person so they don't destroy themselves. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. And other people, obviously. But it isn't just about destroying other people, though that's certainly very critical, especially when you're talking about children, but anybody. Mm -hmm. So it, it's also about protecting them from themselves. They are their own worst enemy. Yeah. And they don't even have to do something to feed that problem. They can just stand in a church and feed it mm -hmm. until they have fed it so much that they will do. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's uh, grace. Yeah. For them to keep them out as much as it is to Absolutely. protect these people, these yes. little lives that we are called to protect. Yes. Yeah. And it's very, very rare, but on one or two occasions, I've been aware of predators who have basically said, if you care about me, you will never let me in that place again. Mm. Because I know that I'm not safe. I will do it again. Mm -hmm. That's about as insightful as any perpetrator ever gets. Yeah. Those are very rare. Yeah. And the self-awareness it would take to disclose something like that, and even still, for someone they know who what's in that their much head. work, yes, to be that self-aware to disclose, yeah, it doesn't get any clearer for us, I think, than that statement. You said earlier um, that sometimes not doing things is a way of serving. So for those individuals to no longer participate is their way of is serving the Is a sacrificial the service body. to the body? Absolutely it is. Yeah and needs to be honored for what it is mm -hmm. and kept. Yeah. And kept. But somehow we've gotten the idea that grace means no restrictions, no rules. Mm -hmm. Everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And we don't do that kind of grace with our children. We don't let our five-year-olds drive cars. Right. And we don't let children walk in busy streets. Mm-hmm. And we'll even be harsh with them to keep them out of those streets. That's grace. Mm -hmm. Because they haven't got the wits to keep themselves out of, from under the trucks because they don't know the trucks can kill them. They don't know what kill is. Yeah. So protecting them from themselves is grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These are really heavy things to talk about. And I think things all of us would rather imagine are not realities that mm -hmm. we can be facing mm. in our church and are not those are other people's problems but not our own and i mean again this circles back to the self-deception that we're all capable of that we talked about at the very beginning yes i'm curious uh you live in the heaviness of this work regularly and 40 more than 40 years mm -hmm. in this line of work 46 I, but who's counting yes <laughs> i had uh, a session with you on the phone sometime last year and said how do you hold on to hope diane like i feel like i'm on the edge of despair because i have seen what i described as just sort of the depravity of human nature like every time my legs just kept getting knocked out from mm -hmm. under me with what people people were capable of and you see that to far greater degrees than any of us will ever know. So what does it look like for you to hold on to hope and not live in despair because you've seen the state of the human condition? Well, part of it is, I mean, I have colleagues here and, you know, we share and talk to each other. And, you know, I had somebody recently come in for, I supervise everybody here, I'd come in for, uh, a meeting and sat down and say, you know how years ago you told me this work was like being in the sewer? I said, I said yes. And she said, I'm in the sewer. Mm. 
you need somebody. Mm -hmm. So we have each other here and that's helpful. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is part of what God is trying to do with all of us is knock the props out from under us and know that our hope is in nothing but him. Mm -hmm. And we put it in people. Mm -hmm. We put it in ourselves. We put it in the church and leaders. We put it in spouses. We put it in whatever. Income brackets, cars, yes. size of our home, yes. success, etc. How many books we've sold, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he keeps saying, no, no. He's, do he's grace. It's grace. He's knocking the props out from under us because we're going the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And so... It's an awful experience and it can wear you down and a lot of people get twisted up by it because they don't really see what's happening and they keep wanting it to be okay, mm -hmm. but it isn't okay here. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be okay here. Mm -hmm. And so, and I'm going to be, particularly because of my work, but just for being human, you'll also see this. I mean, if you look at the news or whatever, you see it. I'm going to be confronted with the not okayness of it all my life. Mm -hmm. Now what? You know, yeah. we, we react because we think we can make it go away. Mm -hmm. The only way you can make it go away is by deceiving yourself. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing is to understand that if you lose all hope, which I have not, I mm -hmm. actually have more hope than I had, because I see God so much more clearly than I did. Mm -hmm. And his capacity to truly renew. Mm -hmm. So my hope is not less, it's more, it's moved where it's placed. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's a bumpy ride. Things go up, I lose sight of that, it hits. Go back to the same thing again. You know, mm -hmm. what, who is my hope in? What am I hoping for? Mm -hmm. He has promised he will make all things new. Mm -hmm. I'd like it to be done yesterday. Thank you very much. Absolutely. It's not. Now yeah. what? Yeah. And so part of the battle is with yourself because you either want to pretend it is or you want to get so disgusted you end up trashing people. Mm-hmm. Or throwing up your hands and you're saying, there's cynic. nothing I can do. Yes. Yeah. You withdraw, you're a cynic, you're whatever. Mm -hmm. So you live in that place of the now and not yet. The what's to come, but isn't here yet. Yeah, the alternatives are not good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, um, you know, I, I think especially with sort of what we're seeing in the church when it comes to abuse and what we're seeing in culture and in politics and news headlines. And there's, there's all sorts of stuff that has been happening for decades. That's just now <laughs> being told. And I, I think then those of us that are reading that and are seeing that and coming to understanding then want to place lots of blame on other people. And I, I'm just curious, what is the role of a Christ follower in, in this? What is the role within the church? And in, in what, at what point does our complacency become complicity in, what, in the abuse of others that we see around us? Well, we're called to truth and light. So if we are silent or pretend or ignore or turn away, we've left truth and light. Mm-hmm. It's a scary place to live. Yeah. 
And it's a difficult place because if you stay in truth and light, you can get really nasty by what you see mm -hmm. and the way, which I think is part of what's happening. You know, we, there's so much nasty dialogue in the Christian world now mm -hmm. and blame and things Vitriol, like that. Vitriol, sure. And uh, back to not, a, you know, if, for example, you think about the Houston Chronicle article about the Southern Baptist and the, the reams of people and cover-up and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now there's some truth and light out there. How are we going to respond to it? And mm -hmm. we want to make it go away. Because it makes us uncomfortable. Or, yes. And we don't want to be involved. Mm -hmm. And we don't like the people we thought were wonderful crashed. Or we just want to become hateful and cynical and whatever and walk away. Mm -hmm. Neither of which, I think, is what God calls us to. Mm -hmm. And so he's called us to open our mouths for the mute. That's in Proverbs. That's, he's, that's what he says. Mm -hmm. So for people who cannot speak for themselves, you speak. Mm -hmm. So we, we're called to speak the truth about victims and things like that. We're called mm -hmm. to speak truth to power, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Say, you can't do these things and be in your position. This is not okay. Sure. What you're doing is ungodly. You know, he's called us to justice. I, the Lord, love justice. Mm -hmm. um, and we're busy squabbling over whether doing justice is part of the gospel or, or not. Yes. I, it's just, I, I, I can't even put my head around that. I, the Lord, love justice. That's enough. Mm -hmm. And he said plenty more than that. Mm -hmm. But that's enough. If that's something he loves, then if I'm to be like him, I'm to love it also. Mm -hmm. So I think in many ways, a lot of the answer to this, which is not what people want to hear, is individual decisions and choices to follow Christ to let him make us look like him, mm -hmm. which means bending us out of shape according to our ways, um, which is never comfortable, and do that no matter the cost. It's love and obedience to him no matter the cost. If the church, the external church falls down, so be it. Mm -hmm. The body's still here. Mm -hmm. Now what? Mm -hmm. And if we think we're protecting his name by hiding sin, he, you know, he hates evil. He loves justice. He hates evil. Mm -hmm. he's, Throughout he's, the scriptures, he lets sin be revealed time and time again to show us the depths of which he would be willing to reach back down to us. I mean, that that, that was all clear throughout the scripture, yes. how he can use broken yes. people. Yes, and the so exposure now, is an invitation. Yes. If we don't accept the invitation, it becomes condemnation. But that's our choice, not his. Mm-hmm. So take your everyday average staff person at a church, congregant, senior leader in a church. What I, I hear you saying on the individual level, that means sitting before Christ and being self-reflective and growing in our self-awareness and pursuing healing in our own areas of brokenness. And that likely means finding people you can be authentic and transparent with and bringing others along in safe spaces to do that. Outside of that, I mean, in a in a season and culture that everyone wants to be an activist and everyone wants to go to social media to make sure they denounce whatever thing 
is abhorrent that they need to have a voice around. Are there things that we should actually do? Are there letters to write? Are there, I mean, what do we do to encourage the SBC to pursue justice in the cases of abuse that were just revealed? What, what is our part to play in tearing down the systems and structures that have gotten us here? Part of it is interceding, which is a hidden work, which mm. I don't think we do very well anymore. So that's part of it. Mm -hmm. But in the places where we live and work and worship, you know, who, who are the mute? Mm -hmm. And how, what are we doing on their behalf? Mm -hmm. Who are the unjustly treated? Who are the least of these? And what are we doing on their behalf? And sometimes it isn't something we can do. I, I just wrote a blog that came out this week about the vitriol in the discussion about the immigrants on the border. Mm. Who are the least of these? I mean, he said, I was naked, you clothed me, I was hungry, you fed me, you know, I was thirsty, I was you gave prison. me water, and when you didn't, you didn't do it for me. Yeah. So, but, you know, I can't go to the border. I'm not, you know, I'm not allowed. Mm -hmm. But there was an article in Christianity Today uh, about how we have a voice with government to say to them, while you're trying to figure this very complicated issue out that's not a quick fix and where the policies and procedures we have are not working anymore and we need new ones, please let in world relief. Please let in world vision. Please let in these organizations mm -hmm. that know how to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and give them clean water mm -hmm. while you do that because these are image bearers. Yes. So there are things like that to do where you can have a voice constructively mm -hmm. without the hostility and the judgment and the, you know, if you care about the immigrants, then you're not a good American. Or if you don't care about the immigrants, then you're a terrible Christian. I mean, th that's the kind of stuff that's going on. As All or nothing. To, yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. As opposed to how do we do something either personally or call other people who have the power to do something, mm -hmm. uh, whatever the area is. Mm -hmm. I think we should be asking our churches to have the humility to learn about abuse mm -hmm. of all kinds, mm -hmm. to learn how to protect the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Jesus is so clear about the vulnerable. And, and it's, it's not just in terms of abuse. It's those who, who are, are easily wounded. Mm -hmm. What are we doing about that? And there's something for everybody. And I don't mean that in the activist sense, you mm -hmm. know, but um, there's, al there's always ways to care for those who are vulnerable in some fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As I'm hearing you talk, it just makes me immediately think about how we have elevated the external in so many ways. I and mean, even when it comes to social media, you know, mm -hmm. if you if you have not tweeted about this issue and where you stand against the president or for this, or then then you don't have an opinion on it, or you know, versus the internal work that may actually be more important, or the in your community work, we've elevated yeah. the external yes. as the image of what's important yes. or what our engagement yes. is in it. Well, that'll even keep us from doing that work because you see all of this stuff that's across the country or you see things that are even on the other side of your state. 
Mm. And like you're saying, like I can't, I can't legally go to the border. I can't do right. these things. Right. I guess I can't do anything. But, but instead I have of a voice. exactly, mm-hmm. and but, I can yeah. call for something that is doable. Mm-hmm. It's not political. It's not going to solve everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's going on right here in your neighborhood. It's almost always the exact same issue is almost always going on right there next to you. Sure. I mean, there's no city in the United States that doesn't have tremendous poverty and terrible educational systems and refugee communities and all kinds exactly. of things. Exactly. It's, mm-hmm. it's there. And you don't have to go down to the city to find it. It's in there. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we need eyes to see and, and, you know, the humility to enter in and do the simple things. I mean, he, he's talking about a cup of water, for goodness sakes. It doesn't require a program. It requires water and a cup. That's How am it. I supposed to gauge my success, though? I need a program. How many cups of water have I given? That's what I need to keep track of. Where did you read that? <laughs> <laughs> in John something in yeah. the Bible? That's in the no? membership yeah. book that I got <laughs> when I... <laughs> yeah. And we've lost sight of the fact that what he said, which is, it's a mind-boggling idea. You give a cup of water to somebody who's thirsty, and you mm. did it for me, to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there's not a believer out there who wouldn't give Jesus a cup of water in two seconds flat. Mm-hmm. But they would hesitate to do that for others. Mm-hmm. And he says it's the same. Mm-hmm. Which means that when you give a cup of cold water to an immigrant or somebody in poverty in the city or somebody homeless on the street or anything like that, you have given it to the highest of the high. Mm. You've given it to the one who has all power, mm-hmm. who's called you in his name to use the power you have to give a cup of cold water for the purpose of blessing. Mm-hmm. And he is honored by that. That's mind-boggling if you really soak it up. Absolutely. And we love to diminish the small, the small things for some grandiose idea of something else that we're supposed to impact. We've lost a sense that we belong to one another. Yes. I don't know if that comes from the ways that, you know, well, America part has of benefited. We're competitive. Sure. You know, my church is bigger than your church. Sure. It used to be my daddy's bigger than your daddy. <laughs> 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 Which we still do that, too, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. But, but uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, this goes back to just the, the conversation about power at the very beginning. And I, some, what, some of the ways we talk about this is privilege as well. We talk about the privilege that we have. And uh, I've done a series of trips over to the Middle East where mm. we have looked at the mm. conflict happening there. And we've looked at the oppressor and the oppressed and tried to understand the dynamics of, of what's mm. happening. Um, specifically met a woman of Israeli cultural descent that chose, chooses to live on the border of Gaza. Mm. Mm. and help individuals who are able to uh, essentially they have to have a medical release to even leave Gaza and she goes and waits at the gate to drive people to the doctor of Palestinian Mm. descent to receive medical treatment and they're blown away why would anyone choose to do this and because because of her Mm. status she is able to help people get out and seek the kinds of care that they need which is just the epitome it is a picture of her stewarding her privilege on behalf of someone else she's using her power to bless those who have none or less well we'll take 
um, Americans on this trip. And so they will see ways that America is implicated mm -hmm. in the conflict and then come back and decide they're going to move to Canada. You know, like I, I'm just going to abdicate any privilege mm -hmm. now that I have because of the ways I'm seeing it stewarded in abusive ways and not for good. And so I do think that's the dichotomy that we live in of, you know, I, I have this power, but it's not meant to benefit me. It really is to benefit others. And so when you see it stewarded in unhelpful or abusive ways, then you just want to abdicate it. And we don't get that. We don't get the chance. I mean, if you're a white male in leadership in the church right now, you don't get to decide I haven't contributed to some of these toxic systems. You get to say, I have, or I've benefited from them perhaps, and how am I going to steward the position that I hold at the seat at this table for good? How am I gonna steward this for redemptive ways? You don't just abdicate privilege or power or position, you have to steward it if you're gonna use it in a redemptive way. And that's what you're saying is the invitation for all of us as Christ followers. Yes, and one of the ways I think about that is, you know, you think about Jesus when he was leaving, and he said, all power, is given to me in heaven and in earth. That's a whale of a lot mm. of power. <sighs> he didn't say some, he said all. Mm -hmm. So all power that there is, is his, mm -hmm. which means any I have is derivative. Mm -hmm. It's not mine. He gave it to me on his behalf mm -hmm. to use in his name mm -hmm. the way he would do so. Mm -hmm. Which means we have to look at all of the ways that we are stewarding yes. that in our and lives. And how we're robbing his power of what he intended it to be for. Mm -hmm. He used it to turn on the light and speak the truth. He used it to heal. He used it to feed. He used it to sit with an immoral woman of the wrong race mm. and ask her for a cup of water. Mm -hmm. He didn't offer her one. He asked for one. I mean, that's like... He put himself under her. Yeah, absolutely. In a position of need from her. And he was willing to sacrifice prominence or image and his power. He was willing to lay all of that down in order to be present with her. Uh, where do we go from here, Diane, when it comes to all of the light bearers or all of the silence breakers or all of the people that have come forward in the Houston Chronicle as an example, and shared their pain and bared their wounds. I, the the sense that I have is that so many of us are sort of like, huh, we have a lot to learn here. But I don't sense that anyone is running to the victims, is helping them mend and heal and find hope. And is that happening? What is our responsibility well, as a church in that regard? it is happening in some places. I, I think, though, yes, it, it is a call an invitation to us to say what I had to do at the beginning of my career, even though I didn't have sense enough to know it at the time, teach me what it's like to be you. Mm -hmm. Again, that's incarnational work. Mm -hmm. I think that's true with abuse things. I think that's true with race. I think that's true with all the ways that we're divided. Mm -hmm. And so we have to have the humility to say, okay, I want to learn what it's like to be you. Mm -hmm. Whether it's with those victims or with a refugee or with somebody of a different race or whatever, that needs to be the response. Mm -hmm. um, not everybody will answer that call. Sure. Uh, now, I think also for victims, <clears throat> I think it's very important for them to understand that their voices are prophetic mm -hmm. and that, that it's a holy work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about their pain. 
it certainly is about their pain and what's happened to them and the wrongdoing and all of that that needs to be dealt mm -hmm. with. But it's more than that, that they're part of something that God is doing mm -hmm. um, to make his church more holy. Mm -hmm. So he's honored them even when we have not. Mm -hmm. They also are going to have to be patient as God is because we're stupid sheep. Mm. And so people are going to say, okay, our denomination is going to deal with this and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And then the victims are going to say, what? <laughs> because that's not enough or it's not the right path. Right. Or, or why didn't you ask us or whatever. And sure. so the church certainly needs to ask, you know, teach us what it's like to be you. Mm -hmm. And we need to be your students. Mm -hmm. God's going to call them to the difficulty of having been wounded by the church and still being patient. Mm -hmm. because she's slow to learn. Mm -hmm. If she weren't slow to learn, they wouldn't have been victims in the church. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so that's a hard, it would be an easy place for the church to turn aside because she feels overwhelmed and for victims to become embittered. Mm -hmm. We're all at risk. Sure. So I think we just have to be cognizant of that. Mm -hmm. um, I had a young leader say to me, like, okay, I get it. These are, they're really hard. They're really painful stories. But, like, at what point are we able to just move on? Like, at what point, when does it? It's not the question. It's the wrong question. Sure. When you're dead. You moved on when you're dead. Mm -hmm. There is no moving on on this planet. It's always there. I mean, moving on sounds like, okay, we dealt with all those victims, and now we understand abuse and we'll be fine. That's self-deception of the highest order. Sure. Well, and there was a sense of like, okay, can't you fix it? Like, what do we need to do to fix it? And I, I do think people are asking that Stop question. Stop asking that question is the first thing to do to <laughs> fix it. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it, it's not a thing to do. Mm -hmm. There will always be abused people on this planet. Mm-hmm. There will always be some in our churches. There will always be some in our churches who never tell us, no matter how wonderfully we handle it. Mm -hmm. Just because some people never tell. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the most poignant things in my career has been, and it's just a handful of people, women who have set, called and asked for one appointment, that's all they want, in their 80s, because they want some one person to hear their story before they die. Wow. And they come in here, and they've sat with me, and they've told me about their abuse, and they thank me, and they say, I'm too old to do this work. God will do it in heaven. You know, they love Jesus. Mm -hmm. I just wanted one human to hear my story. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be there. Mm -hmm. There's always going to I mean, these are people who were women in leadership in churches. And, I mean, you know, nobody ever knew. Not Their husbands never knew. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you, those questions mean we're not listening yet. Hmm. You know, it's sort of like, okay, okay, now what? Mm -hmm. You're not present. Mm -hmm. You're not with. You're already dragging along so you feel better. Mm -hmm. So you can get on to the more important things. It is the work. Mm -hmm. It is the it's most important thing. It's not the thing in the work to get done because it's keeping us from doing the work. Right. It is the work. Mm. And our ability to enter into it is only 
dependent on our ability to enter into it, to steward the pain, to handle the pain, to create yes, a safe to space. Be, to be willing to have the humility to say, number one, I have no idea how to do this. And if this is the work, if this is the way God wants to call me, to teach me about himself and how to walk with humans, mm -hmm. okay, now what? You know, mm -hmm. how do I listen? How do I learn? Mm -hmm. But it's not going to end. Yeah. Um, are there ways that we can build on the invitation for, I mean, primarily the men and leadership in our churches to enter into hearing stories? Are there spaces we can create? Are there resources or books of yours that pastors can can read to understand? Or is that sitting with people? I mean, what is a... Well, they're not safe to step? sit with people till they learn a few things. Yeah. I have a friend who says, you know, you tell everybody everything they need to know about how safe you are by the ways that you respond to what's happening in culture, the ways that you respond when somebody does share pain. You know, the, everybody knows what they need to know about how safe you are. And I have, I know some men that really want to create those safe spaces and don't, they feel ill-equipped to do that. So where am I? Well, and they probably are because where would they have learned? I sure. mean, it's not sure. even necessarily their own fault. Sure. Um, but part of it is reading. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's, you know, I often give churches book lists, you know, when they want to, like, develop a group of people and things like that. Um, and that's a safer way to learn about things like abuse because you, there's nobody in front of you you can do damage to at the moment. Yeah, they can't see your face. <laughs> They'll look on your face when you're yes. reading the... Yes. Yeah. Um and I think part of it is consulting with people who know. Mm -hmm. It all requires humility um, and learning, whether it's, you know, from people like the people who work here. I mean, mm -hmm. I have people on the phone with pastors calling in with questions all the time. We mm -hmm. just found this out in our church. We don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. We love those calls. Because mm -hmm. at least they're... And, you know, sometimes somebody will call and I can say, well, here's these things you need to do. But you also need to call Grace because that's beyond me. Sure. You know. So it's, it's being willing to really seek out actively uh, a learning. Mm -hmm. So the humility is a tremendous part of that. And we don't necessarily condition men to be okay not having the answers or anyone in leadership. I mean, that's right. part I of our cultural both, expectation yes, yes. is you need to know the answers. You're supposed to have it all figured out. You're supposed to be very competent in this area. Yes. But... but I think the crux of the matter in terms of dealing with power and the abuse of power is humility. Mm -hmm. I mean, Philippians 2 is about that in terms of Jesus, you know. So that's not something we talk about very often anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, it isn't my power that I have, it's his. Yes. And so how does he want me to use that? Mm-hmm. And part of what a leader has, if they're currently a leader, is the capacity to learn, or they wouldn't be there. They, they know how to read, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they know how to talk, sure, and they know how to listen, sort of. <laughs> sure. And so those three things need to be used to learn. Mm -hmm. That's how they learned everything they know. That's how they're going to learn this. Yeah. Do we have to get to a place that the pain is so great it forces us to want to learn? Like, what is the Some threshold? Some of us. Okay. Some of us. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people in leadership 
understandably, are afraid of feeling or being seen as inadequate mm -hmm. because the church is not very kind to that mm -hmm. in its leaders. We've bred so that. So I yeah. get that. But for a leader to stand up and say, I am not adequate to deal with this issue. I don't think our denomination, if there is one, is adequate or our system, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I just want you to know that I'm going to be pursuing learning about these issues. And mm -hmm. I know that some of you listening to me have these stories and I don't even know them. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go learn how this happens and what it does to people and what it looks like to walk alongside in a safe way. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just letting you know. That's all. That's, I mean, just to say that mm -hmm. would be like a bombshell in a victim's life in a wonderful way. Yeah. Give them hope. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. We talked a little bit about uh, teams having some sort of plan in place in advance if something like this were to happen in their church, whether that's an allegation with the staff member, with the volunteer. Is that another place that you would say Grace has resources yes. to help churches? Yes, they have a whole training program. You can use it for the church. You can use it for everybody in leadership. You can do all kinds of things with it. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. then you have people who have had knowledge and training and understand also how to do policies and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have to constantly be prepared for a situation that doesn't fit any of that. I mean, sure. We just got one of those this week, and it's sort of like, oh, 46 years, and I never heard that one before, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. How would you define the role of a leader in the church? Uh, we, we touched on this earlier when we talked about that the church has adapted a lot of sort of leadership principles and leadership qualities from what the world would say a leader is. Some of the ways I talk about this is, you know, we like to think that a leader is the boat out front going the fastest, leading the way. And when in fact, leadership is the tide that lifts all boats. H how would you define in the church the role of a leader in the church with Jesus as our example, thinking of church leaders that would be listening to this conversation? Well, first of all, a leader is an obedient sheep. Mm -hmm. you, you can't be a good leader in the church mm -hmm. and not be that. Mm -hmm. So... It needs to be a person who truly has, obviously not perfectly because nobody does, but has the character of Christ. Mm -hmm. Who, when you think of that person, you think of the fruit of the Spirit, not the gifts. Mm. Not that they're not there, mm -hmm. but they don't overshadow. So mm -hmm. you have somebody with patience and kindness and who manages themselves well and all of those things. And you have somebody with humility. Because if you're first a sheep, you're not on top. Mm -hmm. You're first a follower, you're not a leader. Mm -hmm. Any leader who's not first a follower isn't a good leader because they're following themselves, basically, which is a really bad idea. It's a recipe for disaster in my situation. I don't know if other people feel the same way, but. Yes. So, and I, I think we need to change both of those of us in the pews, what we want and call for, I think our seminaries need to be looked at. You know, most of them teach theology, doctrine, whatever, not character, not look at yourself, not 
what kind of sheep are you, but you need these skills in order to be a good shepherd. Mm -hmm. The shepherd is secondary to being a sheep. Mm -hmm. We have it the other way around, if we bother to think about what kind of sheep we are at all anyway. So I think that the whole paradigm needs to be done. And again, you know, Jesus, who has all power, not just here, but in heaven. I mean, that is incomprehensible. Became a baby. Mm -hmm. Had to be carried away to Nazareth to save his life. Had to, you know. He led with humility. He led by example. Did he teach? Oh my goodness, yes. But he was what he taught. Mm. He never taught anything he wasn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he went into the temple. He's God. And he went into the temple as a worshiper. Yeah. We, we have to, I mean, I don't know the words really to make it change. I mean, I know some concepts like that. Sure. But I think... There needs to be a collective understanding that we've actually lost our way from what God has intended us to be as his body on earth. Mm -hmm. We aren't following our head. We're a sick body, and we're not even really fully aware of where all the cancer is. Mm -hmm. You know, these voices of victims are showing us some of the cancer. It's not all of it. Mm -hmm. you know, pride is part of the cancer. Arrogance is part of the cancer. It's a weighty response, and it shows the ways in which we fail to exemplify the character of who God is and lead, lead, I say with, you know, air quotes, in following the example of Jesus as, the, as a follower. Yes, which can be discouraging, overwhelming, and make us all want to sit down and say this isn't possible. Throw our hands in the air and give up. And there's, I mean, I get that. Trust me, I get that. But the question is, who am I? How am I being? Mm -hmm. Maybe people follow me. Mm -hmm. So what kind of sheep am I mm -hmm. first? Mm -hmm. And really seeking out God and his word and letting him show me what kind of sheep I am. And we're all spotty sheep. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, where am I not following my shepherd? It, it always has to be there. And if I do that, even if only three people in my life ever follow me, or one or two or whatever, it doesn't matter. It isn't how many follow me. Yeah. It's who I am as mm -hmm. they follow me. Mm -hmm. And whatever that is, God will use it. Mm -hmm. It will have the fragrance of Christ. Mm -hmm. It will be multiplied and it will bless. Mm -hmm. The numbers are not the point. Yeah, it's very well said. Thank you for being willing to, not just for committing your life to this work for more than 40 years, 46 years, but for being willing to invite us into the pieces mm -hmm. of it. And candidly, there are parts of it that still don't even feel palatable. But I know that's part of my work is entering in and understanding more and extending that invitation to the leaders and pastors around me that are saying, this is too much to handle. This is too much yes. to bear. What, how do we synthesize what is happening? And I think to continue to show up with that invitation and with perhaps a mirror to those that are willing to 
courageously look into the mirror. I mean, that's what I'm hearing again and mm-hmm. again and again is our work. That's mm-hmm. my work. Mm-hmm. That's the work that you're committed to. That's the work that we're called to. And it's a refreshing and a little bit intimidating, but much needed invitation to all of us. So thank you for being willing to go there and share yeah. with us. Yeah. Thanks for your work. You're welcome. And then for us to hear, I mean, it is the voice of victims and it is the voice of those who've been abused and all of those things. But ultimately, it's the voice of God calling his church back to himself because she's lost her way. And he uses those we have treated as the least of these Mm -hmm. to lead us. Mm -hmm. How Mm -hmm. like him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's his invitation. That's what leaders need to hear. It's Mm -hmm. not how do we fix this problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God is saying, you're missing me. Mm-hmm. If you weren't missing me, this wouldn't be happening. Yeah, it's pointing to the bigger yes. issue that we're He's all saying, navigating. "Come." Yeah. And what a beautiful invitation from him. Yes. From a very patient God, whose heart we've broken. We have caused him great grief. Certainly, we've caused the victims grief, but we have caused him great grief. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you feel like would be helpful for us to share and capture here? No, I think it's pretty well drained out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm really sure there's anything left in there. <laughs> anything? Okay. Oh, that was amazing. Amazing. Mm-hmm.